we're so excited about the Forever Project. It has three parts. Uh, we started with, in small group life, we're a small group based church. And so you'll be frustrated with our church if you hate small groups, because that's what we are. We're a small group based church. And so what we did was in certain small groups, almost 15 or 20 of them said, hey, we will host um, some marriage discussion. We used uh, Francis Chan's video series, watch that for about 15, 16 minutes, and then have discussion. <laughs> One small group reported back to us, yeah, at midnight, we were still talking about what we got to do right in our marriages. It was awesome. And so if you'd like to connect with that, you can go to our website and you can see the small groups that are available that are doing those, those times and teachings together. And then the second part that was important to us in this project is that the Sunday services during the month of February would actually uh, yield towards that. How to, how, to, how to have marriages that last forever. How to be a single person and prepare for your forever. How to do that. And that's kind of what we'll be doing on Sundays. And then, and then to culminate at the end of it all in a time where uh, we have a date night for all the married folks. And then a single date night for all the single folks. Jesus, connection time. Anyway, so we, so yeah, we've been doing some work on that, inviting a lot of people from the Metroplex. We're going to fish outside. Anyway, so we're just trying to make some things happen like this. So we're calling it the Forever Project. And so we, it's our heart to live Ephesians 5 and 31. Put that on the screen for them today. Ephesians 5, 31 says it like this. For this reason, a man will leave his fa father and mother. And all the men said, thank you, Jesus. Yeah. You didn't say it, fellas. You still at mama's house. That's your problem. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Everybody say one flesh. The concept here is that we come together forever, that that flesh, that we literally become one, and it's forever. Now, some of us are working on a second or a third marriage. We've been through some things. We've been through some hardship. We've made some mistakes. But I want you to know, starting today, that your forever starts today. And if you're single, I want you to understand we're believing with you. Now, we recognize in the scripture there are two kind of reasons for being single. Number one, because you're preparing for marriage. Or number two, you're called to celibacy. And Paul deals with that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And there are those. He calls it a gift. A gift is celibacy. And there was a season I thought I was called to that gift. In fact, I actually uh, felt like I had about a two-year period. In there. All I want is Jesus. Paul actually says, uh, for those of you, he says, I wish that you wouldn't get married. I wish you were like me. And that you, and you would completely just devote yourself to the Lord. Because a married person has to deal with their spouse and their kids and the needs of that family, of that spouse. And he qualifies how you're called to celibacy. If you're called to celibacy, then that means, according to what he taught us in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that you also then are foregoing ever having sex again. That's when I knew I wasn't called to celibacy when I read that piece right there. Now, for those of you that have that gift, that's a gift from God. God has given you that gift. That's magnificent. And when we get to heaven, I want to stay in your mansion because it's probably going to be the biggest and the best there. So as we jump in today, I ask my better half to help me with that. So will you give Miss Jane a hand? It is a joy and privilege to be with you. I think he asked me to be up here so you could look at my face and see if he's telling the truth or not, if he tells any stories. And he is all the time. I do want to encourage you. As we get started. Wait, wait, sell that again. You didn't sell that point real well. Oh, sorry. He is. 
we all have, the time. <laughs> all the time. No, I'm kidding. We do have a, a blast getting to do this. And I just want to encourage you, um, even as we were preparing, it's always fun because you get to do a lot of evaluating. And when that happens, many times you can reflect on what you did that you regret. You can reflect on decisions made that maybe you feel like contributed or that your spouse did, you know. And I'm, I'm loving the more he studies. I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, read that. Read that. How'd that go? No, I'm kidding. And but I'm loving bringing it in. Watch this group, what exactly. they're saying right there. But here's what I want to encourage you. Um, a while back, I went to um, a health club. It's been a while. But when I did, I saw someone who had been working out all the time, very in a very disciplined way, very consistently. But guess what? They didn't look perfect yet. And for a moment, I thought, well, that was a waste of time. You don't look perfect. You've been trying and trying, and you're still not perfect. But you know what? That person knew something that I didn't know, and that perfection's not the goal. Health is the goal. It's good. And so this is not so about good. two perfect people trying to tell you how to have a perfect marriage, and then you going home and feeling shamed or embarrassed that you don't think you measured up somehow. That's from the enemy. That's not from the Lord. Good, this is about all of us imperfect people pursuing health and healthy relationships, healthy relationships before marriage and after marriage and during. Amen. Amen. And to the single folks, I would tell you, we believe that how you prep now will determine the quality of what's to come. And so how you prep now will determine the quality of what's to come. In fact, my daughter, she's at A&M, and, uh, and so she's helping at a church over on that part of the world. And, uh, and she told me the other day, she said, uh, she was telling us, she said, the pastor's actually in a marriage series right now. And so we asked her, so what do you think about that? You're single, you're in college. She goes, it's awesome. She said, I'm learning just what I need to learn so that I can be ready for when that moment comes. And so I would encourage you as a single person, as well as a married person, that this is the perfect timing for you. Everybody say forever. forever. And so with that being said, I want to give you a little preview of what we've done. So uh, what we did here was we wanted to give you practical application pieces to our forever. And so we'll start today with the six, what we feel like are the most destructive habits that that literally are destructive to your forever. So six destructive habits to your forever. And what we did was we reached out to a number of the couples in the church. We didn't want to just give our opinion or how we translate the word of God, but to get wisdom and, and biblical insight from some of, some of the core couples, people who just love Jesus in our church. And so you'll see some quotes from some of these guys. And when we, as we start with number one, almost every one of the couples, 20 plus couples, all came to number, they all started with number one. And here's the most destructive habit for your forever. Number one, keeping Jesus on the sideline. Keeping Jesus on the sideline. Write that down, please. Keeping Jesus on the sideline is one of the most destructive habits you can have in marriage. As a Christian, especially, you need to understand if the guy, if the, excuse me, if the God who built and instituted marriage can't help you, it can't be helped. He's the one who knows how to fix it. And what we do many times is we, see, we keep Jesus on the sidelines and we go about trying to fix it ourselves. We're still trying to replay what daddy said or what so-and-so, aunt so-and-so said was how they had a strong marriage. And we keep, we're, we're being destructive by not bringing Jesus into the game. The Bible actually says it like this in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. You got to understand in biblical times, they understand this truth that they would take two strands of cord and they would wrap them together. They twist them and try and make a rope. And that rope was, it was okay, but it wasn't as strong as when you had a three cord. And literally what Paul is pointing out here in Ephesians, you put Adam 
Adam and Jamie and then put Jesus in the middle and we intertwine that and that cannot be broken. That cannot be destroyed. And what we do a lot of times is we never ask Jesus for help. We never say, what do you say in your word about my marriage? How can I do this? We never as a single person say, Lord, what do I need to be doing? What do I need to become so that I can have a forever marriage? And when you and I learn to do that, what will happen is supernaturally God will invade that space and give us power where we had no power. Years ago, I had a, a friend who was an atheist, a great guy, I really liked him, him and his wife. And they'd come to our church every now and then just because they were gracious to us, but they didn't really believe in God, but they liked Jamie and I. And years, uh, years after they stopped kind of visiting with us and we didn't see him, uh, he showed up here one time. And he said, can I talk to you? I said, dude, absolutely, good to see you. And I said, what's going on? He goes, man, we're going through something in our marriage. And, and I just, I knew that you were a good dude and that you could maybe help me. Said, do, do, do you mind just give me some counsel and some advice? I said, dude, I would love to do that. I said, but I need you to know something. I'm not smart enough and I'm not brilliant enough to help you. Who can help you is Jesus. And last we were engaging, you didn't really believe in him. And I just want you to know, I, I don't have any faith that, that I could give you a couple little things that'll fix you. I think at the end of the day, for me, the truth of the matter is the only reason that woman still loves me and I still love her is because Jesus is in the middle, keeping us straight. He is not on the sidelines as a side habit that I do on Sundays. He is the center point of who we are. And that's, that's all I got to give. I said, so I don't want to offend you, but that would be, I, I, like, I don't want you to like, dude, I knew you were going to do the Jesus stuff. I I have no other counsel for you other than what he says in his holy word. And he said, thank you for that. And he was very gracious with me. And we, we, we move forward. I love this. And how about this little statement? Spouses cannot make you happy. And sometimes what we do is we lean on a spouse to do what only Jesus can do. Only Jesus can bring you peace, not being married. Only Jesus can bring you true, genuine joy inside of you and contentment, not being married. Some of you just think, if I can just finally get married, I'll be happy. No, you won't. You'll bring that same frustration into your marriage, and now you're even more frustrated because now you have someone else to care for instead of just yourself. Jesus is the center point of what you and I need. He does not need to be on the sideline. That's a bad habit, and you need to turn that thing around. And I love what Dandy and Cindy Blanco said. They've been married uh, 17 years, Daniel and Cindy. Cindy, Cindy, Daniel, wave at everybody. Give these guys a hand. Look, if you know Daniel and Cindy, their network passes for us. And you can, if you know Daniel and Cindy, listen to Cindy's voice right here. First and foremost, you need a savior. <laughs> That's where she starts. She said, God needs to be the driving force of your marriage. Our marriage is successful today because we stopped trying to do things our way and instead work at following God's perfect blueprint for our marriage. Isn't that powerful? Good job. Thank that. you, guys. I love that so much. Not only did we get the chance, did our team get the chance to sit down with some couples, but many folks have been responding on social media. And then you can actually go and read more of the answers and even contribute your own yeah. uh, and to the, the things you've learned and the wisdom that you've gathered. And I just think it's important, even in a single season, that we learn to continually bring Jesus into the decisions in our life. We tend to only do that when we've already gotten everything into such a mess right. that we can't get ourselves out. But each and every day, Lord, what pleases you? How can I hear your voice in everything? The point number two to me is so important, single or married. And one of the destructive habits that we can get into if we're not careful is living without accountability. It's so very important that early in our Christian walk that we develop a pattern of being accountable to other people in our lives. Because when we don't walk in accountability, many times then it's difficult to walk in integrity. And integrity so and accountability go hand in hand in those 
situations. Proverbs 10.9 says this, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but whoever takes crooked paths will be found out. I know one thing, that's, one thing that we've really set as a pattern in our whole lives from the very beginning is that we don't keep secrets from each other. In fact, we over-communicate. It's how we share our worlds with each other. Uh, the other day I had to check Facebook, and I didn't have to go on, I didn't go on my computer or my phone so that he only, that Adam doesn't see my Facebook or something like that or messages that I have. I just simply opened his computer and pulled up Facebook. It's always locked in. And I remind him often, go and check. See if I've talked to somebody. Anything like that. Uh, we will we'll always communicate with each other about um, a relationship that maybe somebody's like, hey, I think somebody's feeling a little bit too comfortable. I want you to know that. I want you to know where I am. We have Life360 on our phones. It's I'll, an app. I'll, it's yep. an app, and, and I'll message him and say, hey, why'd you go to Chipotle without me? That wasn't very nice of you. But, uh, but always in each other's lives and not keeping those secrets. Because when we begin a pattern of withhold, simply withholding even a struggle, even uh, withholding a potential struggle, what we're doing is we're beginning to build a world that's separate from the people that we love and who care about us and who are looking out for us. But, and so, go, you were Yeah, I was just going to say, years ago, uh, I had this person, I think I've told you this before, I had an, an old girlfriend from back in high school days uh, reach out to me on Facebook and she had just gone through a divorce and she just was reaching out and she said, hey, you know, recently went through a divorce and I was just thinking about our times together back in the day and just wondering, you know, if you're going to come through and uh, just would love to get the old gang together and, uh, and, you know, just hit me back up, you know, direct message me back. And uh, it's amazing, I never saw that uh, that direct message that came to me. <laughs> Weeks later, my wife, who was checking my Facebook, said, oh, by the way, so-and-so reached out to you. I responded on your behalf. Don't worry about it. I said, well, what did she say? What did you say? She said, he's happily married. Don't use this, uh, this address again. God bless you, or whatever she said. I said, well, there you go. Ding. <laughs> It's important that we build a culture of honesty, whether that's in relationships or the workplace. One of the most, an incredible book called The Speed of Trust by Stephen Covey talks about that everything in life that we hope to accomplish gets accomplished more effectively and more efficiently when we have trust. If you think about that, when you when you fill out a long contract and you go and buy a car and you take hours filling out paperwork, that's because they don't trust you that you're going to actually pay for it, that you right. wouldn't drive off the lot and never come back. Right. And so there's there's no confidence of trust in a relationship where we've not built that trust. So in a marriage, it's so important that we build a, a, a confidence that comes through accountability. Yeah, and a culture of honesty. Um, years ago, oh, won't you read what Roderick and Leslie? Roderick and Leslie Walton are some of our small group leaders. I don't know if they're here in the room. They're so amazing. Roderick said this, and I thought it was and so incredible. As a single man, I felt I didn't need to check in with anyone about where I was going or what I was doing. But once I got married, I understood the importance of being accountable to my spouse. This openness builds trust and confidence in our relationship. My wife is secure in our relationship because I'm open and honest with her. Come on, give Roger your hand. That was great, Roger. Years ago, I, I, as a pastor, I got a phone call from one of the ladies in our church. And she said, hey, Pastor, I'm, I'm, I need you. We're in trouble. And I said, what's going on? She said, well, my husband... Uh, called me after work and said he'd be heading home 
and, um, and I'm home, and he's not here, and it's been a number of hours. I've been calling, I've been, I've been texting, his phone's not responding, uh, so forth and so on. And, uh, and so I've called around to local hospitals. I've, I've called, you know, the, the, the PDs and, uh, and, and, and nothing. And so would you mind just going and maybe driving around, seeing if you can find me and see if anything happened? I said, absolutely. She was in full-on panic mode. So I said, absolutely. So I jumped in the car, and I drove the route. I knew where he worked, and I knew where, you know, where his house was. So I drove the route back and forth, you know, looking on the side of the road, down in ditches, behind trees maybe, if he went off the road or something like that. Nothing. Three, four hours he had been out of touch. And finally, somewhere around 10, 11 o'clock at night, she calls me, and she says, uh, uh, he calls me and says, man, look, I'm so sorry. Uh, and he starts telling me the story. He says, yeah, I was on my way home, and this lady was broke down on the side of the road. And so I stopped to help, and I went to help her change her tire, but she had the wrong tire. So then I, I took the tire to, to one of these discount tires and changing the tire, and the rim didn't fit. It was the wrong rim, back and forth. And, and then finally, then I'm out in the dark trying to change out that tire, and I was like, what road were you on? Well, I was on such and such road. I said, I didn't see a stalled car or a car jacked up without a tire on that road. I was on that road. Went back and forth. And finally, I just told him, I said, hey, I need you to come over here. I need to, I need to speak with you. I need to see you. Because you can sell that on eBay, but I'm not buying that mess. And your wife might be stupid enough to buy it, but I'm not buying that mess. You've been going for three. See, you don't have a culture of honesty. You've got you to cultivate a culture of honesty in your marriage. You've got to, as a single person, do that now. And so you know what came out? That guy not only, was, not only had, had went and did him a little hookup moment, but he had been doing that with multiple different ladies in our church. It came out, and that guy was, that guy was I mean, he was in a mess. He had been wicked, and he'd been hiding it. And I promise you, friend, I'll tell you right now, that is a destructive habit to not have accountability in your life. That's why our church is a small group-based church. That's why I beg you, please get in a small group life. Please connect with some small groups. So, well, I'm just so busy. Well, so is everybody else. But, sweetheart, you need him to have accountability. You need him to have other men in his life. I said, bro, how you doing, man? You okay? We need that. And the only reason we don't want accountability is when we're hiding things. I love to have accountability. Why? Because I'm not perfect. I mess up, and I know it, and I'm glad to put that out there. Instead, and see, some of you have always been in a pattern. Since you were a little kid, when you made a mistake, you were so scared of getting spanked or catching a whooping or whatever you want to call it that you didn't tell the truth that you did that you didn't own it and as a result of that you got away with it and you're still doing that now in your adult life and can I tell you something there's a moment that's gonna happen where you're gonna get exposed and that's become a habit of not being accountable why not just take the whooping take the whooping when it's small and you blew it and you were stupid just say I blew it I was dumb I repent I want to make it right because the more you hide it the more it grows right because what's hidden in darkness is able to grow but what comes out into the sunlight is actually exposed and those weeds can't grow when you pull them up out of the dirt and you put the roots in the sunlight they actually die so I would challenge you do not fall into and if you have fallen into this habit this is destructive and we need to change it around learn to be a part of accountability get in a small group I don't care I'm shamelessly puzzling small group life all right number three point number three is so good point number three of destructive habits is losing control of your thoughts and your emotions I think as women, we struggle with this many times even more than men do because a simple because we can tend to, uh, to escalate a situation in our minds. All of us do this many times, men and women, will have a simple thing that happens that was unexpected, and the next thing you know, we've completely told a story that is a narrative that is terrifying, it's fear-based, and it has now brought us into such a panic that, has not, that doesn't have any reality attached to it. And then we begin to act on 
what we perceive to be happening. Maybe someone does something inadvertently and we begin to write a narrative that assumes the worst in that situation. Mm. And that, that puts us in a, in a panic situation and it, and it creates That's such so negativity. Philippians 4.8 says the exact opposite. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Imagine if the next time something happened that was a potential misunderstanding or you reflect back on why someone did something. Maybe they, they spoke at a turn at a meeting and took credit for something or whatever that was that you back up and you rewrite the narrative in your mind that has a positive outlook and, and, and watch to see the difference that it makes in the way that you perceive not just that person but your whole world in that situation. And I, I want to point out this Philippians 4 when Paul opens that chapter, you've got to understand, as he's writing, he is writing from prison. He's not living in a, in, a, in a comfortable environment. And he's writing to the church of Philippi who are under persecution. And guess what he starts in the first couple of verses? He says, rejoice! Rejoice! Your life sucks! Be happy about it! He's, from the very beginning in this chapter, teaching, take control of your emotions and your thoughts. You can find goodness in the midst of something that you perceive as terrible. You can find it. Don't let that go crazy on you. And then he walks it back all the way down in verse 8. And he says, and so think on the things which are admirable, that are praiseworthy and excellent. Your mind will lie to you and deceive you. Some little something that somebody said, some little text message that, you know, you, that they put in there. And you're like, what are they talking about? Don't forget, as they use Siri, Siri does not translate everything properly. I just want to throw that in there. And so the intent and all these things, you don't really have that fully under control. So take control over your mind and your thoughts and your emotions. Say, you know what? No, sir. I believe that God is in the midst of this thing. Start taking control of those thoughts. We, were, we should have never been together. See, it's so hard to be together. Take control of that thought. Say, no, Jesus put us together. We're going to see this thing through. We're going to have a beautiful forever. Why? Because only the, the beauty in forever is that we went through something and we overcame something and that we fought through some things. It's not the people who quit the moment it gets tough it's those no one writes a movie about the people who quit yep. nobody goes to see a movie hit me again no more, I quit I don't want to fight no more what we love about Rocky is you hit me again hit me again until finally he overcomes right that's every base of every successful movie is that there's an obstacle and we overcome it friend marriage is like that there's going to be difficulties, and we got to fight it through. So we take authority over the thoughts. Every high thought that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, the Bible tells you, take authority. Take authority over those emotions. Read what Betty and Nelson wrote. I thought this was powerful. Betty and Nelson Bascom have been married for 69 years. This is Miss Diane Logan's parents. They're so amazing. Unbelievable. Wait, wait, say that one time. They've been married 69 years. Crazy. Longer than most of you have been alive. I just want to point that out. Just, that's a long time. And they wrote, it is more difficult to criticize one whom you deeply love. Their annoying habits become less and less irritating when you have cultivated deep love. I don't, I love that she doesn't say if they have annoying habits, right? The habits that are there. After all, annoyances is an emotion. 
and emotions should be under your control. I was teaching my 12-year-old the other day that your mind is the battlefield. That's where the enemy wants to try to, 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 to take you down. He puts those thoughts and those challenges in your mind. Then you have a choice to say, I will not entertain that. I will not let that take control of me. I will not let fear consume me in this moment. I will make a choice. I will not let anger take the, make the best have the best of me and say the things that will be destructive and can never be taken back. What you think you may or may not have had a choice on, but what you say is always your choice. What you throw across the room is your choice. Right. Anything like that, we have a choice so to control our emotions in that moment and to say, Lord, I really need your help right now because what I want to say and what I should say are really different in this moment. And number four, write this down, the most of the destructive habits that literally destroy your forever. Number four is disregarding the differences. Let me explain it, but write it down. Disregarding the differences. I want you to understand you are different than your spouse. Okay? Disregarding that is foolishness. The Bible actually tells us that we're different. In fact, actually gives us a command on how to care for each other based on our differences. When you read Ephesians chapter 5, and that's the chapter that literally, out of everything in the Bible, Ephesians chapter 5 and 1 Peter chapter 4, they're almost mirror passages uh, from Paul in Ephesians to Peter and 1 Peter. They are saying the same thing, and basic, the baseline is this. Husbands, love your wives like, like Jesus loves us. Wives, submit and, and respect your husbands. That, cha that chapter of Scripture is one of the most hated chapters in all of Christianity because nobody wants to be told what to do. Nobody wants, I'm just going to submit to some idiot, kind of respect a dummy. I'm going to love her. She's unlovable. I mean, it's one of the, besides that, that besides tithing are some of the Scriptures that most Christians don't want to hear about. But in that, you've got to understand God in his foreknowledge of us as, as our creator understood how we're wired. And so I want to help you understand the difference between men and women. And again, I, I've done a lot of research and, and even psychologists. And it comes down to this. Men need to know more than anything else. When they survey men, this is what they need to know. And that is that they are respected. And that's why Ephesians tells us, ladies, respect your husbands. You have to understand. And we'll start with the men for just a second. Then we'll go to the ladies. You have to understand, working in the backdrop of his hard drive. All day long are questions like this, am I able to do it? Am I good enough at what I do? Am I adequate? Do I measure up? Am I good enough to accomplish the task? Or will I be a failure? And so that's constantly running on the back of a man's brain. He constantly filters everything through, can I do it? Am I good enough? And when he has a woman beside him who's saying, you're the best. I, I respect you. So what he needs to have in, in a marriage is he needs someone who actually says to him, I believe in you. you, you you're my hero. Uh, you, know, I, I, you know, I'm married to one of the most amazing people on the planet. We grew up in a church. We spent our teen years and our young adult years in our 20s at a mega church. Uh, you know, we had a 6,000 seat sanctuary and had multiple services. So a really big church. And, uh, and I knew that I was in love with her when I started watching all the guys gathering and circling around her. And, I, and, I, and I, I had experienced what they were experiencing. Jamie had this gift to make you feel like a hero. She, she would start batting those big blue eyes. And she said, that's amazing. That's phenomenal. 
And I decided, y'all not getting that. I'm going to be the one that gets that. <laughs> and I won her heart, and she's been doing that. You, you're the greatest. You can do it. You're my hero. In fact, years ago, we had been at something, and one of the little guys that she had been interested in back in those days, we, uh, we saw he and his wife, and, uh, and uh, they, had, they weren't quite as successful as I was. And so we got in the car, and I said to her, I said, <laughs> Aren't you glad you married me instead of him? Uh-huh, look how successful I am compared to him. She said, well, if I'd have married him, he would be the one who was successful. I will See? neither confirm nor deny that <laughs> That <statement>. is true. <laughs> See, a man needs, ladies, you're killing him by causing, you don't even realize what you're doing, you're causing him not to feel respected. He needs to feel honored and respected. God put that weakness in him. He literally, that you have the key to unlock that thing in him, to cause him to go bear hunting with a switch, to say, baby, you can do it. Listen, whatever you, I don't care. This is the 17th time you got fired this month, but baby, I believe in you. We can do this thing. You're the, you're the man of God for our life. I'm telling you, and man, you should, okay, I'm a, I can do it. I can do it. You have no, why are cheerleaders ladies for the most part? Because they have the ability to say, you can do it, you big dummies. They don't ever tell them how bad they are. Think about it. When they're losing, what do they start cheering? Defense, defense. Instead of saying, you are losing, bunch of idiots. You know, they don't ever. Why? Because inside of a man is the need to be validated that he's the hero, especially when the world tells him he's a loser. Especially when his own mind questions, am I good enough? Can I, can I provide for my family? And you have to understand, you hold the power, you alone. Because if some other little girl starts telling him that, she'll draw his affection away. You have to, you're the person God's put you in his life. Well, let me just say this. Maybe, ladies, that you came to Grow Step 2 and you did the assessment where you found out, actually, I'm somebody that actually wants respect, too. Maybe I'm a strong leader. And maybe that's been really hard because there's been a tendency to want to correct leadership because you correct everybody's leadership around you. It's who God made you to be. But realize that as you invest respect, and you better than anybody knows what it looks like because it's something that may be a value for you. But as you begin to invest that's in so and invest respect in your spouse and in your husband, you will watch them become that person that you believe that they can be. And by, by speaking to them and speaking for them and about them, when people talk to your kids with a, with a tone of respect about your spouse, it's so, so key and it's so important and they will become the person that you believe they can be. Yeah, I mean, my daughter the other day, I came through and she, and I told her to do something, she's doing uh, whatever, I was like, ho, ho, come here. You will not treat me like that. Because I'm training her. I'm telling you, bro, whoever marries her, you need to pay me a bunch of money. Because I am <laughs> teaching her now the needs that we have as men to be respected and show that respect. Now, for the ladies, fellas, write this down. Stop being stupid. First off, a woman's greatest need, for the most part, is the need to know that they are loved. That's why he said, love them like Christ loved the church. It's a supernatural need that God has put within them, a need to know that they are loved. Because a woman is constantly asking, it's running in the back of their mind, am I lovable? Am I special? Am I beautiful? Am I worthy of your love? Would he pick me again? Am I loved for who I am on the inside? Because the world says I'm only valuable based on my outside. Am I loved? And so many times, guys, you do not fill that space properly and give her the confidence 
And because you don't do that, because you don't give her that confidence that she, it doesn't matter what happens. You are valuable. You are loved. I, 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 would, I would do it all over again, over and over and over again. You are so valuable to me. You are so necessary for me. I love you with every ounce of my being. Instead, what men do is we withdraw. And we're silent. We have this old mentality, you know, bless God. I told her when we got married that I love her. If I change my mind, I'd let her know. I mean, it's been 30 years. Why I got to keep telling her? Because inside of her is the need. That's why the scripture fixes that when he gives us a command. Men, love your wives. In fact, it's, he's tell, he tells men twice in Ephesians, love. And then again, love your wives. He only tells women once, submit, respect them, you know, because they're stupid. But men, love. He has to tell us twice because he knows we ain't got enough sense to keep after this thing. We have to love and keep loving and keep loving. And that's why our, our little point is this, is that it is a big dysfunction and a broken place to disregard the differences. You say, oh, my wife don't really need that. She's so strong. She, no, stop that. Well, I, you know, I'm just not like that. Well, exactly. And you have to learn to give what's needed. You say, well, you know, I, I just, you know, when he's respectable, then I'll respect him. No, sweetheart, you got it backwards. When you start pushing, when you start building respect in him, he'll become respectable. When you start admiring him, he'll become admirable. Bro, when you start loving her to the depths of what she needs, she will then respond properly because she feels and knows that she is cared for and loved and protected. Are you with me? Say yes. And let me just say this. We, it's, our, it's our calling and duty, as, especially men, I would just urge you to invest in your wives and your daughters, that, that value. So true. Because many times, depending on the season of life they're in, every mirror they walk past, every storefront window they walk past, every post they see on Instagram may say to them, you are not valuable. Society has taken a vote, and we have voted you not valuable enough mm. to be worthy of attention. So simply by giving attention many times and investing value, even in the small ways, it produces in them a feeling and a desire that they are valuable. So. Yeah, Jamie said to me uh, a couple years ago, she goes, you don't hold my hand when we leave a place anymore out in the parking lot. I was like, well, that's because I'm trying to find the keys, get the car unlocked, and get you in there. She goes, oh. So that's it. That's all I needed, just a little bit of help. I grab her hand, trying to get the keys. Hold on, baby. I'm going to find these keys somewhere. But that was a little piece that said, I adore you. Okay, so in this whole point of, of literally, we, we've gotten to the place where we've stopped learning. In this whole point, I want you to understand that not only, oh, you moved my notes. Stop, baby, love. Disregarding the differences, the other piece I want you to understand is that there are seasonal changes in your spouse. There's seasonal changes. They're going to change. You say, she ain't, he's not the dude I married. Right. When you married him, he was 19 years old. The only job he had ever had was, was working at Starbucks. Okay, now, come on, you're, you're 15 years into it. He's got a mortgage, 75 extra pounds. He's been fired four or five times. His confidence is shot. Yes, he's not the same person you married. You've got to relearn him, relove him, rebuild him up. He's a different person. Bro, she is not the little person. Well, she's just not who I married. That's just not what I was. I, 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 it's like a bait and switch. Who I got is not the person I thought I was marrying. Stop being stupid, okay? Change is inevitable. Okay, she's been pregnant three times. You only have one child, and she's had two miscarriages. She's different than the happy-go-lucky newlywed that she was when you first got married. She's fighting through some insecurities. She's fighting through some things. That's who she is. And the beauty 
of this forever concept. The destructive piece to, to, to this concept for forever is like, well, you know what? I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know who she is anymore. I don't know. Exactly. Relearn her because someone else will. If you don't learn or someone else will. Jay and Charlene uh, Montego, one of the amazing couples we have. They've been married 18 years. 18 years. Jay said this very well. He said, pay attention to your wife's needs by listening behind the mood or the tone and to hear what's behind the words. He calls it intentional listening. It's hard sometimes, but trying to remember how far we've come along makes it worth building it up even Further, I love that. Good that job, was so guys. good, Jay. I love that statement. Charlene's like, Truth. that's my man. She's so cute. Let me tell, share with you number five, another dis, um, destructive habit that we can get into, and that is filtering everything through, is it good for me? Now, we stand here as two only children here that I promise to tell you we, we have fought through this and we get it. And all of us do this many times, just as, as humans. We're, we're many times, you can go help and serve in the nursery and you'll see a kid. It's my toy. I want it. I want it more than you. And that's all that matters. And that starts as a child and many times it sticks with us. A selfishness that says, first and foremost, anytime something changes, anytime something comes in our world, how does it affect me? How does that affect my skin? schedule? How does that affect my bottom line? How does that affect my comfort and my convenience? And many times if we're not careful, we will crush the dreams of our spouse because we begin to analyze things analytically. I told him the other day, oh, you wanted me to be, to be a wife and not a, a co-worker. I thought I was a co-worker in that moment telling you all the things that was made that a bad idea. I was like, can I back up and tell you as a wife? That's awesome. This is going to be great. And on the inside, I was like thinking in my head of all You're the so other stupid. things. <laughs> but you know what? He can figure that out. And, the, and Jesus will help him. But, uh, but Mike Chapman says it this way. Michael and Roxanne wait, wait, wait. Chapman. 19 years, Mike and 19 years. Are they oh, yeah. here? I saw them. There they wait are. Wait everybody, Roxanne. You guys are amazing. Mike said this. I had to die to myself. I love the way he puts it. Selfishness is toxic. I had to put on a new mindset and become a team player. I'm not a team of one anymore. This helped me with my breakthrough. The world teaches independence, and then you get married, and you have another person to consider. I can't do what I want just because... Um, because it isn't just my life I'm responsible for. You can't just have a good quarterback. You've got to have a good offensive coordinator as well. I just love that. It's not about a team of one. Many times we spend our whole lives making sure we're going to take care of ourselves and look out for ourselves because maybe you felt like nobody else did. But you know what? You have another person that you're in partnership with for life. And as we invest in them and believe the best in the uh, and I can't say that right, and they believe in us, then God does big things. Amen? Yeah, you and I always say it like this. It's not about me. It's about the we. Yeah. It's not about me succeeding and you tag along or you succeeding and I tag along. It's about the we. And so many times we're caught up in me instead of the we. So this may not be great for me, but it's great for we. It may not be what I enjoy, but it's what's best for us. And so let's do it. Let's be a part of that. And let's move forward in that. Once you tell the story, too, you had, a, you had a... Yeah, I was remembering back. I was with some family this weekend, so we were talking about a lot of family memories. And I remembered one summer we got to go out on a boat. And there was about half a dozen of us out there. We were having the time of our lives. And then all of a sudden, one of my cousins remembered that her shows were about to come on. You know, mm. those that come on during the day. I think it was probably One Life to Live or Days of Our Lives or something like that. And she insisted that we cut short the whole family outing 
morning. This was back before DVR and all that because she had to get home. It was completely irrelevant, anything else that was going on wow. in anybody's life. She was so that selfish and that self-focused in that moment. Total opposite of what we read in 1 Corinthians 13, 5 that says love is not self-seeking. And that creates a, a sense of vulnerability many times. But you know what? When we invest in another person and we put them first and think about them, then God comes through in the middle. All right. And number six, write this down. Last one for today. Number six on the destructive habits that destroy our forever, and that is never taking out the trash. Now, that sounds simple and easy, but I want to bring that into perspective for us. 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says, love, it keeps no records of wrong." Here's one of the most destructive behaviors that I see in marriages. In fact, when we're counseling folks and helping folks and, and our, our network pastors are relaying back, you know, difficulties that they're working with people in the church through. And our small group leaders are, you know, trying to get advice from us. How do we help this couple? You know what? It, this seems to be one of the, most, the biggest ones. And that is they're still holding on to what somebody, what, they, what their spouse did three weeks ago. You still, have, you, have you ever thrown food into your trash can, forgot about it, and went on vacation? I've done that a couple of times. You come back after a week and you're like, did the dog die? What happened? What, what happened? And, you, go, you, and you, get, you make your way to the kitchen and you're like, oh, who threw the leftover fish in here? Are y'all out of your mind? And it's sitting in there and it's been just salivating full of worms, maggots. It's just nasty as all get. Do you know that's what you smell like and look like when you let that thing just constantly stay in your trash can? You need to empty the trash, clean off the hard drive. Listen, the Bible teaches us, just, yeah, just with, just with each other as believers. It says if, if your friend or your brother or sister offends you, Matthew 18 says, go to them. Say, man, that hurt my heart. And make it right. Don't let that stuff pile up in a trash, and, and now your trash is getting more and more full, and it's just more mess. And you just, you just well, I'm not even going to say nothing to her. I'm not even going to say nothing. I'm not even going to tell him what he did. He's that stupid. He deserves it. And what's that? And it's nasty, and there's no communication between the two of them because you won't take out the trash. You won't deal with it. Uh, a couple months ago, I, uh, I, I, I sent an email to somebody, and I, t I attached a video file, and uh, it was too big. It wouldn't send it. And so, uh, and so I was like, man, it's all my email, email got locked down. I couldn't figure out what it was. And, and so I went and I deleted. It was still in the outbox. I deleted it out of the outbox and so forth. But still, I'm having all this problem with my email. So I got Darren over. Darren's brilliant. He goes, he started looking at it. He goes, it's still in the trash. And as long as that thing's in the trash, it's affecting everything else. And see, as long as you still hold what he said two weeks ago in the trash, sweetheart, all it's doing is stinking and it's not helping you any. And the smell of our relationship is now permeated with the odor of your bitterness, of your frustration, or whatever. I call it the bitter bucket. And you need to go empty the bucket. Go let it out. It's only killing you. And it's, and it's making everyone around you more miserable. You want to speak to that for a second? Oh, well, you don't have to speak to nothing. Whatever you want to say. <clears throat> Joe and Carmen Rodriguez said it like this. They've been married 12 years. Joe, are you and Carmen here somewhere? Where are you guys at? Are they in this service? Anyway, I love what they said. It said, the Lord uncovered wounds of past relationships and has helped us overcome the emotional barriers and frustrations left behind. He has showed, shown us how to love one another better and value each other more through the power of the Holy Spirit and His Word. Can you imagine if they kept that stuff and kept that in the, in, in the can and it's getting more and more putrid as the years and the weeks, the months, whatever go by? 
You and I need to empty the trash. You need to sit down with your spouse, even today if you need to, and say, you know what? I have held on to this and held on to this, and it is nasty, and I don't want it in my life, and I don't want you to feel the guilt of it. And some of us, we want them to pay. We want to walk by and say, smell that? That's because of you. Because of you? Right there. It's your fault. And you think that that's helping it some kind of way. It's not. Everybody's disgusted, and the maggots are starting to stir. Are you with me? Say yes. And I remembered what I was going to say. Isn't that great? It took me a second. Isn't that great? I do want to encourage you. Many times we have things that we don't even realize we're holding on to. Right. I love that story that, that Pastor Adam shared because it wasn't even something that was in the front of his mind. It was something that had been lingering for a while. That's why we have the encounter retreat because there's a moment where you say, I don't understand why I can't let go. I don't understand why I can't move forward. Mm. And you need the body of Christ to just spend time and pray with you. Come to an encounter. Have someone pray over you and have a word of knowledge. Have a, a word of wisdom and to help you break through. Because many times you're doing your best in everyday life, but you're fighting things that you've been through potentially from a really long time ago. Yeah. And the Lord didn't intend for you to have to carry those heavy burdens alone. He's here and the body of Christ is here. Amen. Turn to the person next to you and say, take out the trash. Come on, would you stand with us all across the room today? Take out the trash. Take it out. 